welcome to the Storyman Podcast episode. Wait, 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 wait. You can be way more excited than that. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, totally serious. I think we should use this beginning. <laughs> this is totally what we're using. I am excited. <laughs> wait we a second. We are stepping in the crowdsource and affect our, yeah, let, welcome, to be done. Welcome to the Storyman. <laughs> welcome to the Storyman Podcast, <laughs> episode 10. Beautiful. Hey, would that this be our good. bronze anniversary? What's 10? 10 is, I don't know, paper? Quartz? Is this quartz? <laughs> sure. I'll look it up real quick while yeah. you throw this We've show. made it to 10, and as always, I am Clay Morgan, joined by J.R. Foresteros and Matt Michelatos. What is up, men? Nothing. I'm excited to be here, Clay. <laughs> I'm even more excited. I'm super excited this yeah, week. I guess we got to bring the energy, apparently. J.R. is like the energy commando. We can't let JR show off and be more excited than us. I'm really excited about this show. This is the 10 anniversary, you guys. <laughs> the 10 anniversary. It's 10. 10. T I N. 10. JR's beard is made of oh, unbridled enthusiasm. Yeah. He's so, very excited. Uh, last show was awesome. I loved talking to Juliana Baggett. And uh, did you guys, how did you feel about that one after it was over? Oh, I She's loved it. Amazing. Yeah, really, really good. And we've gotten a lot of really great feedback on it, too. I think a lot of our listeners really loved hearing what she had to say and uh, are checking out her books. I think... we, need to get, we need to get more guests. We have some exciting – we're not going to announce anything yet. We have some great, exciting names coming down the pike. Um, and if you're listening to the show and you, you want to help us get other guests – the stronger our platform is, the more our request will be honored. So if you, <laughs> if you rate us, like us, and subscribe to us on iTunes, that goes a long way towards telling people that you want to hear them. And we're always open to suggestions, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you have famous friends, pass their <laughs> names them, and contact them, information yeah. along. Tell them they should come on our show. And it doesn't like just if, have to be an author or a speaker. No, no. Like if President Obama is your godfather, that'd be fine. Yeah, yeah we would be Obama. happy to talk with him. I think it would be cool to talk to a professional ball, baseball player for this summer, you know. That'd yeah. be great. I'm sure someone out there knows a professional ball player. Hook us up. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what have you guys been up to? Let's, uh, let's catch up because it's been a couple weeks. Matt, you've been in Florida for like a month? <laughs> well, three <laughs> weeks. Three weeks. I was in Panama City Beach which is a huge spring break destination. We're talking thousands and thousands of college students. Uh, and so Crew, which is who I work for during the day when I'm not podcasting, um, <laughs> Crew does a big conference every spring break. It's three weeks, three separate weeks. It's called Big Break, where co Christian college students come in, and we teach them how to have conversations with people about spiritual things, and then we send them out onto the beaches to hang out with the spring break partiers. So it's really fun. Yeah, it was a great time. I was the Bible teacher, so I'd teach Bible stuff every evening. For like an hour, right? At least. However okay. long I felt I could hold them, hold their <laughs> attention. But then so the rest of the time you were just in Florida. Right, yeah. Wow. So you worked for three <laughs> weeks and you had to work an hour a day? Four right. days a I week. Mean, <laughs> gosh, come on. It's like missionaries are like harder working pastors, right, JR? That's right. We only work one day a week. You had to work four days a week. Uh, right. Yeah, it was spread out. I don't no, know I mean, how you I do it, man. That's rough. And here well. I am scraping by, just just thankful for my little spring break where I get just a few days off from my teaching grind. Do your all your schools go on spring break at the same time? No, they do not. And um I kind of uh, I kind of planned on that, so my one school got a gift of a day off, which <laughs> <laughs> I kind of look at I kind of look and see, okay, when does my main school go on spring break, and maybe I should give the students a research day that week. <laughs> it's very benevolent of you. Well, plus University of Phoenix. I mean, I, I work there like it's so sporadic; they're not even really in the mix. You know how the March Madness tournament's going on. Oh, yeah. Nick Swarsden on Twitter said uh, he was busted after day one because he put all his money on University of Phoenix online in the March Madness <laughs> tournament. <laughs> and my That's beloved uh, Pitt, you know, the students were a little bit down today. Pitt got bounced in the first round, not representing yeah. very well. So they were all a little bit depressed. Yeah, well, the ones that showed up, the other half, they just didn't. <laughs> <come>. <laughs> 
<laughs> nice. Well, we, I've been uh, I've been in you know in Lent getting ready for Easter. It's uh, this Sunday is Easter, and so I always tell everyone in my church on Easter Sunday we turn it up to eleven and blow the roof off. So it's going to be a big huge party. Nice. Do you have seating issues? Uh, we do actually, and both of our gatherings were pretty much uh, over capacity. So if the fire marshal of Beaver Creek, Ohio, is listening, <laughs> uh, we're closed on Easter. Don't come. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what overflow so, is for. Exactly right. Uh, but I'm all, like also pretty jazzed because Easter Sunday night. Not only is Game of Thrones season three beginning, mm. but The Walking Dead is ending, and the Bible <sighs> is coming to an end. The Bible on the History Channel. Talk so to me. Okay. An epic night of television. I just wrote about this yesterday on my blog because at about the same time Jesus is rising from the dead on the History Channel. The Walking Dead will be in full zombie mayhem mode, and the Jesus zombie um, <laughs> comments are already starting across the internet. <laughs> so I figured, you know what, you could be offended or you can get out in front of it, so I just went That's ahead right. and wrote about it. Um, but what do you think of the Bible, uh, the History Channel series, JR? Oh, man. I... <laughs> That's a good start. JR hates be... the Bible. That's what we yeah. can... <laughs> I don't. I don't want to be too critical of it because I did not pay my own millions of dollars to make some ten-hour-long epic sure. programming. Uh, but and, and there were there are a few moments in it that are really really good. Like I thought the way they handled Jericho was really good. I thought basically the entire segment that was Saul and David was really really strong. Um, but other than that, you know, it's. I feel like there is a lot of. It's like a highlights reel of the scriptures, and I don't think that it gets, I don't think it gets at the the why or the connective tissue of why all of these things happen one after another. It, it was more. Uh, there's a there's a great article on Patheos by Peter Enns, who's a fantastic scholar, and he's basically the article says they didn't ask me, but if they had, here's what I would have done. And mm-hmm. he labels their approach the celebrity approach, where they just kind of fo- like 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 uh, Samson gets an hour. Of the ten hours, and and really in in the salvation history of the scriptures, he's a relatively minor character. And there was no Joseph. No Joseph. No. I mean Solomon is he gets like yeah two, Solomon two got of, cut. Yeah, two minutes of screen time, and he's a little kid playing with a, a toy of the temple, and and he's like actually one of the most important parts of stuff. I mean, he causes yeah. the civil war. Okay. Oh, sorry, Matt. Were you, yeah, yeah. Question. So there's a difference between doing a miniseries that's about the importance of the salvific experience and what's most important versus what are great stories. Like Solomon oh, this is true. It's right. really interesting, but as a story, it's pretty lame. Like, Sam Sin's I'm awesome. super wealthy, nothing bad ever happens, I have a bunch of wives, <laughs> also I'm wealthy, I'm really in love with this one yeah. wife. Yeah. Like, where's the story there? Good point. Yeah, right. It's well, like I'm bragging. glad. <laughs> I'm glad some editors decided they'd help God out and make it make it more exciting. I was I was interested. <laughs> On the first night the Bible aired, I was I wouldn't say riveted. I was excited to see what it did, and it was worthy of being. Um, we watched the full two hours and and put Walking Dead off till later. By the second and third week, I forget one of those. I was out of town and didn't catch any of it. I was just waiting for The Walking Dead to start so I could flip over. And on on the one hand, it's going to expose the Bible and these stories to a lot of people. On the other hand, you know, I just figured it's not for me. But I'm, I'm certainly not going to sit back and say, this is terrible, this is the worst ever. Because I think it's cool that um, some influential people and the History Channel, you know, are getting behind telling these stories at least. Yeah, but it, it does matter, doesn't it, how well the stories are told. Well, yeah, but I don't think it's, going back to a couple of shows ago, I don't think it's poorly produced, nor is the production or acting cheesy. I think the no. criticism has mostly been about you know, what they're choosing to show more and this and that. Yeah, I mean, there, there are a few stories that I think... Uh, Particularly, I was particularly bothered by the Samson story uh, that I think really misrepresent what's going on in the text to a to an unfortunate to to a degree that I would not feel comfortable as someone who teaches the Bible saying, mm-hmm. you know what, watch this; it'll give you a good enough idea. Like they would actually say, "Don't watch this; you'll get the totally wrong idea about what the story is about and what it's supposed <laughs> to be doing." 
I've heard uh, a lot the, of that. A lot of people say they're not. They gave up on it after week two or three because it's just not accurate at all, or something. It's there are some. I, I, there are some good parts, um, and there are some things that they choose to do, like the nativity. You know, they they they're not going to put a show called the Bible on the History Channel and actually tell a historically accurate nativity because you want the shepherds and the wise men and all the villagers. You want them all there around the nativity. You don't want the shepherds showing up on the night he's born, the wise men showing up two years later. I mean, you don't want the actual historically accurate right. stuff to go on. Right. Um, and given that, given that they're going to make some artistic choices, you know, the nativity was actually overall pretty well done. Um, that wasn't one of the things I had a, a big problem with. It was more, you know, I think that people already have a hard enough time understanding how all this stuff in the Old Testament is supposed to matter anyway, and this didn't help anything at all. Now you just think it was cool that Samson had dreadlocks. <laughs> you know what it almost sounds like to me? It sounds like Sunday school. Like I haven't mustered the interest to watch a single moment of the miniseries, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but it sounds like what you're saying is like what we do with kids at church. It's like, here's a really good story you might find enjoyable. Here's a small moral to take home for the week. Obey your parents or you'll end up in a fish. You know, whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it's like, yeah, it's these, it's these captivating stories that you think people will be interested in. But it's not like I didn't come away from Sunday school understanding the Jonah story and its relation to Jesus and the, you know, death and resurrection. Like right. That, yeah, nothing. Nothing there. No it, it was, I was a senior in college, maybe even in grad school, before I really began to understand the whole scope of the biblical story and why all of these weird and sometimes entertaining and sometimes just really strange stories and what we call the Old Testament had anything to do with anything, you know? Yeah. Uh, it was, it was as one of my college professors joked, it was the preface to the real Bible, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, all that really matters is Jesus and the Jesus story. And it, it wasn't until later that I started to figure out, oh, no, 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 like, all of this actually matters a great deal, and when you really understand how it's all connected, you actually have a, a whole different understanding of uh, who Jesus is and what God is doing in the person of Jesus and how that all matters for today. And, and, that, uh, and that Satan looks like Barack Obama. Oh, gosh, that was really unfortunate. <laughs> uh, Matt, are you familiar what? with what happened? Oh, no. man. So I, saw, I don't get to watch... Or what? Yeah, you know, I don't get to watch it live. I had to watch it. Uh, we watch it later in the week when uh, my wife and I could sit down and see it. And so I heard all the hoopla and people saying, oh, Satan looks like Barack Obama and blah, blah. And I said, I was like, come on, that, like, they've got to be over-exaggerating. They've got to be making a big stink out of it. We watched it, and I was like, who, how did someone not catch this? Like, <laughs> it was flagrant and obvious. <laughs> he was a Moroccan actor, Matt, that... Huh. Um, he had makeup on, and he just looks like 80-year-old Barack Obama yeah. wearing a hood. And, um, you know, I, I saw a couple of things. The Internet fairly rioted after that one, and it wasn't even just like the History Channel had to backpedal and, and affirm that they did not intend anything. Um, one of my students told me that they were even threatening threatening legal action for libel because wow. it, was, it was perceived as – now they have no – there's no way you could ever prove that. Uh, legally, but it was enough wow. of a hoopla that it even re, uh, garnered a response from politicians. Kind of reminds me, was it Game of Thrones that had uh, George W's head up on a pike? Oh yeah, yeah. For real? Oh uh, yeah. Again, we'll, that's uh, what they we'll, say. Yeah. We'll have to put a link up, but yeah, apparently they just were using a bunch of like heads from the prop department or whatever, and somebody threw it in thinking it would be funny but people <laughs> caught it on the DVD okay so there was like there actually was a big apology about that too they're like we meant no disrespect to the president well that no literally reply. was the likeness of the president then huh yeah sounds like it probably was fascinating and you know the Bible is certainly gonna um, pull a lot of eyeballs in and I hope that it does have a positive impact but it's just a strange world we live in where you can see the reaction so strongly because of social media and because of Twitter that everything that's on television now becomes an event. You know, the feedback of people is just so critical in at every turn. And yeah. uh, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today, uh, this idea of crowdsourcing. 
So it's everywhere. I don't know if you guys have seen in recent years on the Super Bowl commercials how they're making it interactive for the fans. Um, like with the Doritos commercials, right? Yeah, what was the Doritos commercials? They had people come up with – they actually had fans had make fans commercials. fans make commercials, yeah. I had a couple friends that were participating in some of the commercials that got chosen. One of the ones that I liked um, as far as just making everything so interactive um, – is uh, I've been I was reading that book Under the Dome by Stephen King, so I went to the website. Jr. I think you checked it out, didn't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's really cool. So you go to the underthedome.com, and there's nothing there but a blank box, and it says enter your address. And uh, I guess we'll just let people do it if they want. It's not like you're not signing up for anything. It's not dangerous, but it's such a personalized way to market a product, and that's kind of the direction we're moving in. And so the question that it raised was, uh, you know, as companies and musicians and these other creatives are relying on crowdsourcing to get their messages and products out, um, what does this mean for our churches and how we share our faith with this postmodern mindset? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Now, JR, I, JR just held up a bag of Lay's potato chips, so I thought we could try this, unless you live in the West Coast where you guys hate potato chips. Well, <laughs> Are they illegal in Portland? I don't yeah, know. We just, it can't come in a bag is all. You have to buy it out of the bowl. So clearly we've been talking about this. I don't know if any of you listening have seen this. Lay's asked fans or whoever on TV and in advertising to create their own flavor, Right. So they took all of the suggestions and they picked three to enter into a contest. Um, and now America has to decide what will be the new Lay's potato chip flavor. So I've so, got cheesy garlic bread. JR, what do you got? I have the sriracha flavor. Sriracha, and, uh, that's like a hot sauce, right? Oh, yeah, which I love. So I'm pretty excited about it. And I've and, made um, a pact not to eat Lay's potato chips again until I can find... Chicken and waffle flavor. That I is love the chicken and waffle, and I can't find it anywhere. I've been to three grocery stores. You guys, I, I can't believe do. that they don't have them in your town. I mean, I my my store has been loaded with these flavors. This is going to sound really good. I think we should do a taste test. Jr., you got I'm a ready. sriracha? I've got my sriracha chip right here. And Matt, you're just going to have to like imagine, imagine. chicken and waffles, gonna, potato chips. Yeah, I'm going to describe what I think it tastes like. <laughs> Okay, JR, give, give us a give us a okay. description. What is the sriracha? Here we go. For America. Oh, that just sounds good. That's I can great. Hear it. It's crisp. It, is it covered in some sort of dust? Is it that is. how they get the flavor? Uh huh. Is it orange dust? It's really good. It's actually not as spicy as I anticipated. Is it like barbecue? Yeah. No, it's definitely like the hot sauce, like the sriracha hot sauce. If you're a type, it has the man. flavor of sriracha. Yeah, it's really good. I would definitely eat these. Maybe put them on a sandwich. Yeah, totally. Put them on a hot. sandwich. Do you not put chips on sandwiches? No, do you do that? Oh my gosh. I do sometimes. Amazing. It's an East Coast thing, Matt. Mm, I'm going to try the cheesy garlic bread. Uh huh. Yeah. So I have dust. It also has dust. What is it with you and dust? I just. (laughs) I I just think that's a weird way to flavor things. But. No, it does not have dust, and it tastes exactly like cheesy garlic bread. Oh, that sounds. I want those chips. This would, Matt, be a great, this would be how, a great potato chip for a lot of meals. How are the uh, imaginary chicken and waffle potato chips? Yeah, hold on. <laughs> yeah, here's the thing. Yeah, the, the potato does add an under-starchy note that's similar to waffle, but the, the chicken it's the chicken and waffle, it's more like maple and salt. It, it, uh, I don't really get the chicken and waffle good. flavor. Is there dust on it? There's there's dust. <laughs> it might. It's possible that that's because I bought it here in Portland where it came in a bowl instead of a bag. Regular dust. I'm not sure. To get the full viewing experience, um, <laughs> actually watch this broadcast and see Michelados pantomiming his experience of Lay's potato chips. Um, you know, one of my favorite one of my favorite crowdsourcing moments ever was actually from the 1980s when uh, they did a storyline called Death in the Family, DC Comics did in Batman. Yep. And they actually had the Joker attack Jason Todd, who was the current Robin. 
Yeah. And at the end of issue three of four, there was an eight or there was a I think it was a nine hundred number that readers could call and vote whether Jason Todd lived or died. And by just a couple of percentage points, they voted to kill him. And so in issue four, uh, the Joker murdered Jason Todd. And uh, that's that's one of the earliest. Yeah, spoiler. Yeah, right. (laughs) Just thirty years old, but. Anyway, that's one of the earliest ones I can think of. Now those things are really commonplace, like you said, with Twitter and uh, all the different kinds of social media. It's so much easier. But uh, do you anyway, guys know that reality shows? That's how yeah. they vote people out all the time. That's true. Do you guys American know that Monopoly Idol? had a contest to choose? So Monopoly did a two-phased contest like this. It just ended, uh, I think, a couple months ago, and the contest was for people to decide which traditional Monopoly piece would die. And what it would be replaced with? Did you what? know about this? I did no. not know about Who this. Died? Was it the Robin piece? So the what? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was the Iron, which I loved. It was one of my favorite pieces. It was the Iron. The Iron. I, I guess that's kind of nineteen fifties. Well, you know, yeah, I would think the thimble could go. Oh yeah. What do we need a thimble for, Monopoly? Come on. Or we need the, the race car. Top hat. Yeah, who wears top hats? What uh, what what is our new piece? A laptop or something? They gave fans a choice of, I think it was four new pieces, and I'm trying to remember what they were. I know what one, and it was it was a cat. A cat. The cat a people cat. Sp- spoke. <laughs> Jr. What I have were the to other say, pieces? I don't even know. I just have to say. If I had known that Cat was even on the table, I would have marshaled all of the resources at my, which are not many, but I would have marshaled all of them to fight against the Cat. Here it is. The possible newcomers included a diamond ring, a guitar, a toy robot, which should have won. Oh, absolutely. A cat and a helicopter. There there was not a giant wolf piece? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's a piece where when you're playing, a man dressed as a wolf enters your house. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, they it's did. <laughs> JR, you probably own like Batmanopoly, don't you? Uh, I don't actually own any of the Monopolies yet. I am. Uh, I'm trying. I don't, I don't. I should. Okay. Well, don't buy one. That'll be your Christmas gift from the. Oh, store. great! Thanks, guys. <laughs> Yeah, we're gonna put lots of cat. We're gonna put all cat pieces in instead of the Batmobile, though. <laughs> Matt, have That's you had? Yeah, have you had any experience with this kind of crowdsourcing, Matt? Well, here's a question: all all of the examples we've used so far of crowdsourcing uh, are actually uh, advertisements. Mm-hmm. They're public marketing. relations, right? They're marketing. Yeah. How do we get more people to read Batman? How do we get more people to care about Monopoly suddenly? How do we get more people to buy Lay's potato chips, which is working on us Done. if we can find the flavors? Um, but when we're talking, when we're so we we and TV shows, whatever you you have a chance to control the outcome, right? Which is yeah. it's still it's marketing. Uh, but when we're talking about like Clay, you were saying earlier, uh, evangelism, the church, spiritual content. I I don't know if that's the way we want to do it, right? We're not. We're not marketing, are we? Like, what, well, what would be different? Don't we need to look? I think we need to look at why the marketing works. Um, okay. Yeah. And I think it works because people want to be involved at a more personal level with everything, but even what they're doing. I mean, it's kind of like I remember uh, another crowdsourcing was back when they replaced the tan M&M with a new color, and you could buy bags of M&Ms with all three of the new possibilities in there and then vote for the one that you want. And I voted for blue because blue is my favorite color and blue is what ended up winning. And so even to this day, like when I eat a bag of M&Ms and I see the blue M&M, like it's silly as it sounds, like I still feel like I had a personal stake in those those blue M&Ms, you know? (laughs) Um, And I think there's, I think that's, that's actually maybe more harmful when it comes to brands and when it comes to products than it is to uh, the church and to evangelism. Like, don't we want people to feel like they have a personal stake in the gospel and in the church body? Yeah, I mean, for sure. That So you're talking about participatory 
Absolutely, yeah. I think that's great. Yeah, for sure. Shifting away from preaching and toward conversation. Is that part mm -hmm. of what we're saying? I would, saying I would say that's absolutely part of it. You know, it's... Go ahead. Sorry, Clay. Well, that's a great way to segue into how I wanted to kind of t take this. I speak at a lot of academic conferences in the Pittsburgh area. And one of the things I do when I'm talking to other professors is student engagement. That's kind of always my topic. And um, one of the tools that I've found useful, or I don't know, thinkers that's been helpful is Leonard Sweet. You guys are probably familiar with him a little bit. I don't yeah. know. He's, he's up like in your next door neighbor, right, man? Lynn Sweet. Yeah, yeah. He's, my, uh, he's my secret brother. <laughs> I thought he was up there in the Northwest. I mean, the first book I ever read by him was uh, The Gospel According to Starbucks. Yep. Which is, he has some great thoughts on spirituality and faith and how we enter into community. And the tool that I found most useful when I'm trying to understand how to connect with others in this postmodern world is his, uh, what do you call it, an acronym? Yeah, his EPIC acronym. Yeah, EPIC, right? So E-P-I-C to describe modern-day students or people is that um, we, they are experiential, participatory, image-driven, and communal. So those four elements, if you can, and, and we hold all this together with story and how we engage with people, but people want to have an experience. They want to be a part of something. It's no longer okay for most students to just be passive year-round in a desk, you know, we, we have constant stimulation. We have iPads and phones and video games and awesome stuff everywhere. And then kids walk into a classroom and they sit in front of a chalkboard with some dinosaur teaching them history. And as soon as they can't pay attention, we say they have ADD or something. Like, no, it's, <laughs> they, they can't just be, you know, passive. So, but the second, yeah. the second letter there is participatory, this idea of being involved, of having that ownership that JR mentioned. I think it's interesting. You're like, it's not because it's not just a classroom, right? I mean, if if you look at exactly, it's it's a generational. The, if you look at the kind of classroom environment that has developed since what I don't know the 1700s, it's very much a passive sort of uh, lecture style uh, that really mimics the kinds of at least Protestant worship gatherings that we've had since the Reformation. You know, it's yeah. you come in, you sit you maybe sing along, but if you don't, no one really cares, and then you're talked at for 45 minutes to an hour to an hour and a half, and the main point of the worship experience is the guy who is talking at you, you know, and what the things that he's saying. It's not how you are responding to this. It's not how you are engaging with this. It's certainly not how you are participating. I mean, I, and I'll, I'm happy to use my church because we talk about this all the time at our leadership level. On any given Sunday morning, what percentage of our congregation is actually engaged in using their spiritual gifts to minister to the other people who are there? You know, 10%? Maybe on a really good Sunday. 20 at best, right? Pareto if, principle. Oh, gosh. I do backflips over 20. 20% <laughs> you know? of people do 80% of everything. And so, what you know, what does that say about when you look at the New Testament and it talks about what the body of Christ is supposed to look like and why we all are given spiritual gifts and there's no such thing as an appendix in the body of Christ. And so, yet our, our Sunday, our main worship time is not structured in such a way that everyone is able to use their gifts. It, it, it's not participatory. It's not experiential. We're not doing things that enable people to live out what God gifted them to do. At least, again, at least my church. Uh, I wonder if that's partly, like, honestly, in the evangelical world, we have a lot of gatekeepers and a lot of uh, concern that if things become democratized beyond a certain point, that we are at risk of the message shifting. So, like, something okay. like Wikipedia, where we have the democratization of the encyclopedia, essentially, and the community is making decisions about definitional issues. I, I think there's a fear in evangelical leadership that if we if we turn things over to the people, things will go off the rails. I, I mean, Jerry, I'd be interested particularly in what you think of that since you're a pastor. Man, think I, <laughs> I, think you're, I think the observation is accurate. I don't think the observation is true. Um, I think that if we okay, are... Okay, wait, to... hold on. 
you're you're saying my observation is accurate, but you don't think the the idea that the idea is true. Yeah, 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 yeah. The idea is not true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, because I if we you. take the new if we take the New Testament seriously, uh, then the Holy Spirit is at work in every person in the body of Christ, uh, yep. calling them all to something. And so, what what might in fact happen is that the the Holy Spirit might lead the community in such a way that that particular leader isn't comfortable with, but that is part of that particular leader's call to figure that out with the community. You know, maybe. Uh, maybe it's an instance where the community's gone off base. Maybe it's an instance where the leader's gone off base. You know, and as long as you yeah. consolidate power, it becomes about the leader and not about the people and not about the spirit working in everyone. I think the the fear though is kind of like crowdsourcing. When you give enough authority to the crowd, ends up with things like snake on snakes on a plane, <laughs> right? Which I love. <laughs> like, but go on. Know that, you guys know that story. Oh, yeah. Well, basically, some people saw early versions of it and started sending out, well, here's what should happen, here's what should happen, and the people the uh, people making the movie listened and put in all these ridiculous things that were like half jokes from the audience, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and made this ridiculous movie. Um, yeah, so it's interesting, because I think there's a power issue here, right? Like, Lay's Potato Chips didn't say, send in any flavor and we'll make it. They, they made three. And, like, DC Comics didn't say, what do you think should happen in this story? They said, should Jason Todd live or die? Right. Because if the internet was voting, he would have turned into a cat, right? <laughs> so they, were, they were narrowing the options for us. So I, I think there's an issue there that sometimes we don't want that participation because we're afraid of where that might take us. So it's about and control. I think, I think so, so. And I think part of, you know, that's, that is so hard to, you know, I... I think we've all been a part of testimony nights. Maybe you haven't. I have, where you just hand <laughs> anyone the mic, and then you just get that you get that person who just talks for thirty-five minutes about nothing, and then everyone in the room just goes, "Well, that is a thing that just happened," you know. And it wasn't that. That's I think yeah. what that's like the safe fear. I mean, the the real fear I think also is where you say people take it off in some really actually harmful and maybe uh, sinful or evil directions. Um, but I mean, it, even 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 before that, you know, we get into situations where we say, "Okay, how how do we we really want to we really want to create the best thing possible?" And what happens when everyone doesn't agree on what the best thing is? I mean, that's yeah. you have to have someone who leads at some point. Um, I don't know. When you talk about control, I mean that's always been to me one of the primary objections that people have to uh, a willingness to hear about someone else's faith, right, is that for anybody who's looking at the gospel or the story of Christ, it ultimately means if you embrace this system, you're you're embracing the fact that you're not in control. And and that's kind of a theme of what I'm hearing here is that, yeah, I mean, it, it can be as simple as people are going <laughs> to sound like idiots or make us look bad if we give too much control to others. But how does that equate to the idea of free will. Like, is God in the business of crowdsourcing? I mean, he pretty much, he has a plan, and we can, I mean, do you think God well, said that? Well, you back? know, who, who, did G, who did Jesus leave the church in the care of, you know? He didn't say, all right, guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay here with you, and I'm going to micromanage everything. He said, all right, I'm leaving, and it's yours. I mean, I think if you look at, if you look at our most conservative, influential websites in the Christian world, some of them don't even allow comments right. on their content. It's a control issue. It has to be. They don't see the Internet as a place that we interact. They see it as a place that they get their message out. They broadcast. and Yeah, they broadcast. And that's not wrong. Uh, we all have different... Uh, that's what television is, okay, uh, primarily. Uh, and that's okay. But I think the internet is a place where we have this really amazing opportunity to have conversations in a free world environment to, to talk about spiritual things in a way that's yeah, pretty unique. Like we don't have to get people into church to have a conversation. We're right. having conversations with people literally all over the world. It's pretty uh yeah, pretty exceptional thing. It'd be great to find some more tools that would allow us to do that better. Well, you know, I was watching I was watching a go-to meeting commercial last night, and it's just becoming more and more common for people to stay at home to not go into work. 
I go to a church where we are a satellite of a larger church. So essentially we have a community experience, worship experience, and then three times out of the month the screen comes down and we watch the head pastor at a different location preach. Uh-huh. I mean, technology is already enabling us to have long-distance churches. Really, the whole church is being redefined in that way. Um, but you're right about the comment thing. When I grew my former blog to the level it reached, I mean, I could write the most perfectly crafted blog post about something I did or thought, but if it didn't end with a, a leading question or create that space for the for the viewers to play in the comment section, uh, it was just going to kind of sit there. And um, the biggest responses I ever got, I think I had one post called Interview With You. I, I put 10 questions and I said, here, answer this. I mean, if you want to get readers, just do five question interviews once a month or something and ask them to put their, their URL because people want to, they want to be participating. They want to be giving their opinion and they want to be involved in that way. Um, so it does cross over when you, you, the collision of what we're talking about is spiritual blogs, right? Well, and that's so, that's where I think um, that's where I think the role of a leader does come. I mean, because there are leaders like leading is a spiritual gift, and in any community, no matter how crowdsourced it is, whether that's a physical church community or an online community or something like that, there are going to be leaders. And, and at least in my view, the role of the leader is to to as you just said, like create that space. So you know, on my blog, I'm sure you guys have had this experience too. I have had to moderate comments. Not and and I think there is a real and important difference between moderating comments and censoring them. Uh, censoring would say anyone who doesn't agree with me is not allowed to have a voice here. Right. If you don't think that this is the best blog post or sermon or whatever that you've ever experienced, then then you can't be heard here. That's censoring. Moderating is saying, you know what? Um, I am starting this conversation. I am leading this. I'm creating this space. And as the leader, it's my job to make sure that this is a space that stays safe for people to be able to have this stuff. And so people who are abusive, people who are inconsiderate, people who are intolerant, they shut they shut that down instead of spurring it on and, and, and uh, making it happen. And so there are ways to disagree well and healthily, and uh, and there are ways not to. And I think maybe that's the role of the leader is to say, okay, I'm going to keep this space uh, safe for these things to flourish. That's yeah. you know who's who's really excellent at that is John Scalzi. I don't know if you've Scalzi dot. Oh, sorry, Jer. I can see you're talking, but I can't hear you. No, I'm just shaking my head. Oh, you were? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're good. I said no. I have not heard of Scalzi. Oh, John Scalzi, he's a science fiction writer. Uh, he has a gigantic blog called Whatever that's been going since, hmm. you know, the internet started in 1830 or whenever that was, Clay. I don't know. <laughs> but um, he, he, uh, he does a great job in the comments. He has some pretty controversial stuff sometimes. People from all sides come and kind of are jerks sometimes, and he has what he calls the mallet of loving correction. He says, uh, yeah, I'll <laughs> bring out the mallet of loving correction. And there's another website called Making Light that they do this thing called disemvoweling. Have you guys heard of this? No. <laughs> what they do is uh, if there's a comment that's offensive but not something they feel like they want to just completely delete and they're like, well, the community should still have access to this, they'll remove all vowels and spaces from the comment. So it just kind of squishes together. So you can make it out if you want to, but it's work. And so that's <laughs> basically how they control the real jerks on their side. Wow. And, and it, it's also good. If you're out there as a content creator or you have a blog, everybody should have a comment policy. You know, I, Absolutely. I yeah. took the time yeah. when I created the new blog to really put a comment policy in effect. And it's not exactly you know, front and center, but you can always remind people that if, if they do cross those lines, you have those expectations mm-hmm. in place. But it, it is. I mean, it, when, when you look at getting involved in community, this is what preachers always say, community is messy. Right, and uh, yeah. the same thing is going to apply. So, I just like to think about this postmodern mindset that we we're essentially moving towards a post-Christian nation. You know, it's crazy to think that that America is heading that way. Um, and so people want to have these experiences, and people want to be uh, participating, and everything should be story-based. Um, from from one of the articles I read by Leonard Sweet, and we'll link to it in the uh, in the post. Here's a couple of quotes I'd like to get your guys' thoughts on. 
Postmoderns okay. are not willing to live at even an arm's length from experience. They want life to explode all around them, and the more extreme, the better. Um, and then a second one, the problem now is worship without participation in the church. Representation simply isn't enough anymore. So I know we've kind of talked about these ideas, but uh, any any thoughts when you hear those kind of comments? Read, read that last sentence again, Clay. The, the problem now is worship without participation. In the church, representation ah. simply isn't enough anymore. Yeah. You know, I see this is something that a lot of say. So I'm going to make a maybe, maybe not true correlation, but I think it's true. I think the larger a church body gets, the harder it is to have that participation. So, have you have you guys heard of Dunbar's number? No. no wait, that's not that? wait. He was an anthrop- he was an anthropologist, and they study like they study primates and how primate brains work. And they basically say what what it all comes down to is that. There's, there's a number, and it's somewhere between 150 and 200. But what sociologists say is that humans are not uh, biologically capable of sustaining more than somewhere between 150 and 200 meaningful, Gosh. significant connections. Uh, so that includes you know, all the people you work with, the people in your family, your friends, everyone. And as soon as a group gets larger than about 150 or 200 people, uh, it, just gets, uh, it just gets untenable. And people, people kind of turn into faceless statistics, and you're able to get lost in crowds and things like that. And it was interesting that my, the first church I was a youth pastor at, I was there when I got hired. It was about 150 people. And by the time I left, it was about 300 people. And what I heard as the church grew was a lamenting by all of the people in the church about how, uh, how they just used to know everyone's name, and now they were all of these new faces. And they lo- like they loved the growth, and they loved seeing all of the new people, but they, they lamented the loss of that really connected communal experience. And so I wonder yeah. if I wonder if this, like, worship without participation is a particular, it particularly troublesome for bigger churches, and I wonder if that's because in a lot of church models where they really do focus on big churches, they, they have this then kind of reverse push for small group emphasis, because a small group, a group of 8 to 10 to 20 people is where you can actually really do what the New Testament describes as church, where everyone is serving and ministering to each other. Uh, so, so I wonder if that has to, ch- if you're going to have a big, big, big church bigger than about 200 people in a worship gathering that's bigger than about 200 people, you're going to have to recognize that that's not going to, that's not going to meet the needs that the New Testament style of worship was designed to meet, and so you have to do something else in addition to that. Yeah, that's the other thing I see in addition to that is a desire for participation that's also at war with a desire for comfort. Like, Okay, you yeah. Want, you don't want to be asked to do something outside of your box, something that makes you feel weird. Like, there are lots of people in church that if you say, yeah, we're going we're gonna to participate and worship together in this way, here's a thing we're going to try, that people are just like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> but, you know, like... um. In, I, I definitely experienced that, but on a more, I guess, a more individual level, if I can figure out as a leader, and I have, I have this guy that I want to get engaged, if I can figure out the, a thing that he likes to do and I can connect that in some way to what the body of the church is doing, uh, he says yes in a heartbeat and just, like, loves it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So they're, yeah. like... Individualistic... Uh... Figuring out what the individual needs and how they can best participate in the body. Well, and again, how they're gifted and how they're gifted and and talented, you know, and what what passions God has uniquely gifted them with and put in them that the church body needs. And the other thing, I guess, we should say about these examples we used from Lay's potato chips. I'm going to be voting on which ending Psych should use Wednesday night. Those oh, are pretty, nice. Those are pretty low investment. Uh, activities, right? Sure, it's, that's true. So outside of the world of people in the church, um, the final thing I wanted to get your take on, and I think hopefully this will start a discussion. I'd love to hear from other people who are listening to this and, and ideas that are out there. How can we use this understanding that people do get energized um, by large institutions, which is what these companies are, um, they do get energized to participate in ways that are fun, in ways that give them a sense of ownership, um, how how can we use that as we try to engage um, the culture 
whether it's through Twitter or through conversations on the street or whatever? That's a great question. I mean, it has to involve at some level like doing the exact opposite of the person who shuts down conversation. We, people, I, yeah. want, people want to talk. Yes, we could talk about framing our faith through stories. I think that's a huge part of what we all believe in. But um, how do we engage people in a way that is going to start those conversations? I think I think there's such a big disconnect between what what church people and when I say church people, I mean people that have been in church that are just that's that's their their church people. There's such a disconnect between what church people think about and talk about and care about, and then what like everyone else thinks about and cares about and talks about. And I think if if the church particularly the evangelical church, really wants to connect with people who are not in the church in meaningful, real ways. They have to be willing to put down everything that they care about and, and, and the things, the questions that they're asking, and they have to be willing to be open and meet meet people where they are. And so if that means, if that means having a conversation about whether or not God exists, even though you know God exists, and that question's silly and dumb, like, there's a lot of people that it's not silly and dumb for, and you have to be, like you said, be open to creating a conversational space, not coming in as a righteous warrior of truth and throwing <laughs> down the answer, if you want to actually have a meaningful, real interaction. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting, at Big Break, one of the, you would think Crew used to be Campus Crusade for Christ, that's our old name. And we, we have a reputation of being the people who go out on campus or wherever and, like, pound people with the gospel, right? That's that's probably our reputation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I wouldn't say completely undeserved, given some of our past. But what's really interesting is two of the things they start off teaching these college students at Big Break. The entire first day, we just teach them how to listen. And we send them out to listen to other people's stories, not to try and convert them or anything else, just hear what they have to say. That's good. And the second day, one of the tools we use that I love that's so good for uh, creating these spiritual conversations with in person is called Solarium. And it's a pack of cards. Yeah. It's just a bunch of pictures. Have you guys seen this? My friend uses so, it in college ministry. Okay, cool. Yeah, so what you do with Solarium is you just have questions you ask them. You say, which, uh, which picture best describes you? Which best describes God? Which describes your relationship with God? And they pick a picture that means something to them and explain it to you. And the scenes and then, are like a flower, a railroad track, right? They're right. Uh, someone holding a gecko with a gecko like biting the finger, a cappuccino, a door. Uh, so it's just it's completely based on image and what people bring to the image. Mm -hmm. And then what you do is, uh, as you get deeper into the conversation, typically what happens is they come back to you and say, well, what, what picture do you use? And then you get to share in the same way they're sharing, not with a different setup or anything else. You pick a picture and say, this is what I think of my relationship with God, and here's the picture that describes what I want it to be, you know, whatever. It's a, it's a pretty great tool if you use it the way it's intended to be used. I've, I've heard from her experiences landing in a new state on a new college using that um, using that to start conversations it is a great tool so um, that's cool that you brought that up okay so solarium is uh, something else we'll link to in the description obviously this is uh, a conversation starter and it is important you know there's so many people that say why even evangelize it's whose whose business is it of yours to even talk to other people what's right for you is right for you and what's right for me is right for me and if I want sriracha potato chips then that's what I'm gonna like and you're not gonna tell me that cheesy garlic are the best and um, <laughs> everything becomes so customizable but you know in, in the end it, it becomes a challenge because you can only customize so much about your worship experience, where that you have to come down to an absolute line, and sometimes the church has struggled with saying, "Here's the anchor," putting an iron fist on people, telling them sink or swim. And there's so many other great ways we could use this mindset, uh, this participatory mindset, like we've been talking today. I'd like to hear from people who might be listening to this what they have found to be effective, um, or or maybe. If, if someone's listening who really has been annoyed by the way they've been approached uh, about someone's faith, I think it would be cool to hear what has been effective. You know, um, People tell me all the time, like, oh, I watched a debate between Christopher Hitchens and so-and-so, 
But the one guy that I really kind of dig was uh, that William Lane Craig. You know, he's kind of the he's kind of the Christian guy that I can listen to in a debate. I like the way he handles himself, uh, and that's powerful. You know, when somebody reacts in a positive way, we need to look at what they're doing right as well. So, um, I guess you guys have any other final thoughts? No, I would just love to hear again, like you said, some of the ideas everyone else has, even. Not even just ideas that have worked, but maybe uh, feel free to be creative. Think about something you'd like to see in a worship experience or even outside of the church, just a way to connect with other people. I'd love to hear what everyone else has come up with. Yeah, tell us what you've seen, what you're doing at your church, what's worked, what what hasn't. What? Yeah, I think it'd be really interesting to hear that. Or if you don't go to a church and you're someone who is listening, I'd love to hear what what kinds of things that would go on that would make you say, you know what, I may not even believe what those people believe, but I'm interested in checking that out. Yeah. yeah, and uh, you know another term that gets combined with crowdsourcing is crowdfunding. Kickstarter has been <laughs> super popular, um, and you know even podcasts are not above crowdfunding, right, guys? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, and that's why we wanted to tell you guys about the Storymen Blimp. Uh, <laughs> Coming to a town near you. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's going to be awesome. Um, so yes, uh, we are. We are kind of kidding. We don't really have anything in place. But if you want to send us money, um, go ahead and just put that check in the mail to to Jr. I don't know. I don't know if you can trust me with administration. But no, um, it, it is true. Musicians and authors and many people are using this to bring custom creations. Um, but eventually, we do hope to kickstart some microphones. <laughs> and uh, along with kickstarting my heart. That's right. <laughs> I love that song. You can never go wrong with Vince Neil lyrics. Um, but it is Easter week, so I do hope that you men will have a good weekend with your family. It's, 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 a, it's a thoughtful time of reflection, certainly on Friday night when we consider the crucifixion, the passion of the Christ. But Easter is an exciting time. And if anybody out there is listening and you're just wondering if there's actually some kind of hope for you, we could say that absolutely, yes, there is. There is an ultimate better life. We believe it is in the resurrection of Jesus, and that's what this weekend is all about. Um, but for right now, we're going to get going. We're not going to tell you who our next big guest is coming up, but we've got some fun things in the works, and we hope you will be around to catch it in the future. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone. Uh, don't Thanks, don't forget, storyman.us. Like us, rate us, help us get the word out. Uh, we appreciate you guys' support.